Today's reading comes from 1 Samuel chapter 15, and the word should appear on the screen behind me and on the screen for those of you watching at home as well. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people, Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. So Saul summoned the men and mustered them at Telam, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 from Judah. Saul went to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the ravine. Then he said to the Kenites, go away, leave the Amalekites so that I do not destroy you along with them. For you showed kindness to all the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag, and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honour and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleating of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God but we totally destroyed the rest. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribe of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned to me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites, and I brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took the sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. 
But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe and it tore. Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he's not a human being that he should change his mind. Saul replied, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with Saul, and Saul worshipped the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring me Agag, king of the Amalekites. Agag came to him in chains, and he thought, Surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so will your mother be childless among women. And Saul put Agag to death before the Lord at Gilgal. Then Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in Gibeah of Saul. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Very good afternoon. Really good to see you. My name is Jeremy, if we haven't already met. And uh, it's lovely to see people here in church. It's great to, to know that people are watching online as well. Can I just say, please don't stand on ceremony. If you want to get up and do a few star jumps at the back just to keep the circulation going, that's absolutely fine with me. Uh, but we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel 15 together, so it would be great help to me if, as you do your star jumps, you could keep that open in front of you. A very warm welcome. Great to see you here. Thank you, uh, Nathan, uh, for your leading. Thank you, Adam, for reading as well. 1 Samuel chapter 15. That's where we are in our series on the book of 1 Samuel, our book of the year. And we're calling the series In Search of a King. In Search of a King. And we're all searching for a king, of course. And if, if we're Christians, then we believe that we found a king in the person of Jesus Christ. And uh, we're going to pray to him just as we begin. And uh, if you'd like to, then feel free to join me in prayer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, um, we, we know that you reveal the truth about your Father through the Spirit. And so we ask that you would help us to listen today to your voice speaking. And so you would submit to the, to the things that you're telling us personally. And so we would obey. And 
And, and we know, and we've already sung this afternoon, that in you we will never be rejected. And we know that that promise is true. So we pray with great trust in your name, knowing how you have made us perfectly acceptable to the Father if we put our trust in you. In your name. Amen. Amen. I don't know whether you've come across this saying before. Uh, it's the name of a book and I think also a film, but it's the well-known saying, be careful what you wish for because you might just get it. Have you come across that? Be careful what you wish for because you might just get it. So the, uh, the Australian Prime Minister said that to Boris Johnson about Brexit, apparently. Uh, the papers said it to Prince Harry about leaving the royal family, so I'm told. Uh, the singer Sia, uh, if you're into Sia's music, the singer Sia recently said that about fame. Did you read that in a, in a recent interview? She said this, so many people want to be famous, but fame is a poison Fame has done nothing for me, she said. I thought fame was going to rescue me, and it didn't. Be careful what you wish for. Interesting words. Well, you could say the same uh, about Israel back in 1000 BC, if the book of 1 Samuel is anything to go by. That's the story of the people of Israel, God's people, in, in 1000 BC. And it's really the story of a search for a king. They're looking for a king. Because it's crystal clear from the end of the book of Judges that Israel really need a king if, uh, if they're to avoid just completely falling apart. But the, the king that they want, and, and they say this in the book of 1 Samuel, the king they want is, is, is not a king who would gather them to God, but a king who would fight with their, with their fists. Back in chapter 8, this is what they said. We want a king over us, then we shall be like all the other nations with a king to lead us out and go out before us and fight our battles. That's the king that they want. And, and they should have been careful what they wish for because they got a king who came out fists first and his name was Saul. We saw that um, in uh, the summary of, of Saul's life. It came at just at the end of chapter 14, which we were looking at last week. So if you've got 1 Samuel 14 in front of you, have a look at the last few verses. This, this is what it says in verse 47 of chapter 14. After Saul had assumed rule over Israel, he fought against their enemies on every side, Moab, the Ammonites, Edom, the kings of Zobar, and the Philistines, wherever he turned, he inflicted punishment on them. He's a fighter. If only that was his job description, fist fighter extraordinaire. But the thing was that Saul was meant to be an anointed king. That comes twice in chapter 15, if, if, uh, if you've got that there. Um, chapter 15, verse 1, just a reminder, uh, Samuel says, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king. That's a special kind of king, an anointed king. It comes back in, in verse 17. 
right at the end, to Saul, the Lord anointed you king over Israel. That, that word for anointed gives us the word Messiah. That's what a Messiah is, it's, it's an anointed king. It's the king who's had oil poured over his head, if anyone's ever done that to you with a bottle of olive oil. But an anointed king is, is meant to gather God's people to him, to, to rescue God's people and bring them back to him forever. It's the kind of person back in chapter two, Karen mentioned this prayer right at the beginning, which just sets the agenda for the whole book. Hannah's prayer in chapter two, she talks about how God would give strength to his anointed king and he would exalt this amazing Messiah. And we're gonna see three things from chapter 15 that will tell us that Saul cannot be that person. Okay, Saul cannot be that person. And here's the first thing from chapter 15. The stubbornness of a Messiah who won't listen. Stubbornness of a Messiah who won't listen. Have a look down at verse one of, of chapter 15. Have you got it there? Chapter 15, verse one. And uh, this is what it says. Samuel said to Saul, he's the king, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. And literally it's really emphatic. It says something like, um, listen to the sounds of the words of the Lord. Uh, you know that exercise people do sometimes? Uh, I don't know, explorers, maybe you've uh, done this at school sometimes. You, you count the number of things you can hear. Anyone ever done that? Let's be it's completely silent, see what you can hear. Okay, I, I can hear the video projector just behind me. I can hear the cars just out in the road. I can hear a couple of uh, pews just sort of creaking. Interesting, isn't it? But among all those sounds that are around us in the world all the time, 24 seven, God's Messiah needs to listen to the sounds of the words of the Lord. Actually, he's got to tune in to. And in chapter 15, what words in particular um, does the anointed king need to hear? Let me just say that what the Lord says is, is quite shocking. I don't know if you heard that when Adam was reading it out. It comes in verses two and three, it's quite shocking. Let me read them out. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. This is 300 years before. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Very shocking. Let me just say three things about that. I know it's an uncomfortable reading. And, and do by all means join the Zoom groups later on. We've got a Zoom group at six o'clock and a Zoom group at seven o'clock. There are lots of things in this chapter you may have questions about that I won't have time to answer. But just about that particular command, let me say three things. First, let me say that, that God reserves the right to end exceptional cruelty 
when it has completely taken hold of a culture. Yeah? Now, if, if you're taking notes or, or you've got your phone out, then make a note of Deuteronomy 25. Have a look at that a little bit later on. That's an account of the original incident where the Amalekites just pick off the, the slowest and the illest at the back of the, uh, the back of the people of Israel as they're moving out of Egypt. The elderly, the young children, the ill, and the infirm. Verse 18, there are wicked people, you see. There's still a wicked people, according to, to the Bible. Verse 33, the, the king has made many people, many women, childless. It's a terrible, terrible thing to see your child die before you. God reserves the right to end exceptional cruelty when it's taken hold of a culture. Secondly, let me say that God has been exceptionally patient. I don't know whether everyone would describe you as a patient person. It seems to get a little bit harder in middle age. I don't know, maybe that's just me. But um, the God of the Bible has waited 300 years, 300 years for the Amalekites to change before he decides to act. He's a very, very patient God. There's a saying, isn't there? Beware the anger of a patient man. God has waited for three centuries, 300 years. Thirdly, let me, just, let me just add that we find this so difficult because we have no idea how committed God is to his people. I don't think we've really grasped how much God loves his people and wants to protect them. One person reflecting on this passage, I, I put the quote up on the screen, says this. Some folks, he's American, some folks put beware of dog signs on their houses, but the sign on Yahweh's kingdom, that's God's kingdom, reads beware of flock. Rulers and nations who read it should shudder, especially if they have touched and butchered the sheep of his hand. Maybe the persecuted people that um, Karen was praying for earlier on would understand this better than us. How precious it is to have a God who wants to protect us. Listen, says this part of 1 Samuel, listen. It doesn't really come out of English, but in, in the original language it comes out seven times in, in the one chapter. Listen. And the Lord sends Saul to destroy the Amalekites, but, but Saul, God's anointed one, does anything but, that's the thing, anything but. It, it wasn't, notice this, it wasn't this that, it, it wasn't that he takes pity on the helpless, it's that he takes hold of the trophies for himself. The king and the livestock, verse nine. He thinks, I have some of that. And then he uses every excuse in the book, every excuse in the book. I know there's some teachers here, my goodness, he must have heard some excuses, I imagine, about um, homework that hasn't been handed in. I left it at home. Uh, someone stole my rucksack. It was abducted by aliens. I imagine all of those. I once, uh, I once had to phone up Justin, that Justin's my son, once had to phone up his teacher and uh, reassure her that, that Justin's homework really had disappeared under the number four bus. Uh, as it did, actually. I watched it disappear under the bus. At Angel, we never managed to get it back. I had to phone up to confirm the story, unlikely as it sounded. But Saul tries to justify himself with every single trick in the book. Did you notice that? And if we've ever felt guilty, then we'll probably recognize every single one. Certainly I do. 
They straight up denial in verse 13, chapter 15, verse 13, straight up denial. And this comes under the title, if you're going to lie, lie big. Okay, so he's very upbeat. Saul is in verse 13. The Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. I remember saying, someone saying to me once, look at me straight in the eye. They said to me, Jeremy, I've never done anything wrong, ever. I, I remember someone challenging me about something uh, that I'd done wrong, and I lied so emphatically that they began to doubt themselves. If you're gonna lie, then lie big. But God has seen the truth and he won't forget. That's the problem. There's denial and then there's blame. Verse 15, did you see that? Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. Uh, verse 21, the soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder. <laughs> you know, I... I asked Mike from IT, and, and he said it'd be fine to reboot the system. I don't know, what, what, whatever it is, you, immediately that you're pinned down, you start to think, oh, how can, I, how can I pass this off as someone else's problem? The important thing is it wasn't me. The buck never stops with me. And he will, will never fool God. He, he knows all the motives of our hearts. Uh, denial, blame, and then good intentions trying to hide behind good intentions. You can see that in the rest of verse 15. See that? Uh, they spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Religious motivation is always a great one to, to hide behind. Uh, I, I decided not to be completely honest on my tax return so that I'd have, um, I'd have more to give away. Or um, I shouldn't have moved in with my girlfriend, but now I can give her a, a lift to the Sunday afternoon service. Or um, I know I often miss church to play golf, but it helps me witness to my friends. It's astonishing what you can justify. Do you find that? A little bit of imagination. It's astonishing what you can, what you can justify. Listen, says God, to what I'm saying. Verse 22 is the key conclusion. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord, literally listening to the voice, listening to the sound of the, of the voice of the Lord? Carries on. To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Are you convicted by that? Well, how can God have an anointed one who, who isn't listening? <laughs> it doesn't add up, does it? And how can God have a Messiah who won't submit? Much more briefly, that's our second point. The sadness of a Messiah who won't submit. Now, you know, people have written very eloquently about the sadness of Valentine's Day this year. I don't know if you knew it was Valentine's Day today. I don't know how you feel about it. Maybe a bit, you maybe are quite relieved that it's all been downplayed a bit uh, in a pandemic. But one journalist wrote this in the paper yesterday. 
This is, this is what she wrote. Never before has touching a consenting adult, even a PPE-clad human being, constituted a crime. We may accept for now that we are astronauts <clears throat> in solitary orbit, but it has never felt right. It has been a horrible year for the human heart. Horrible year for the human heart. People are talking about touch hunger. Have you come across that? Touch hunger. People are hungry for physical contact. But, but what is horrible for Samuel's human heart is not what is not what he's experiencing on Valentine's Day. It's a king that won't submit. Have a look at verse 11. Do you feel the sadness of this? I regret that I've made Saul king because he's turned away from me. I don't know whether you've ever experienced this. It's awful. When Sonny Love just turns around and walks away out of your life. Awful. Then the end of verse 11. Do you feel the sadness? Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Has anyone ever upset you so much you couldn't sleep? Start to see the sun come up. Can't get any rest. And it's all wrong in verse 12, isn't it? It's all wrong. It's not right at all. Verse 12. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he set up a monument in his own honour. That's the heart of it, isn't it? Self-worship. A monument in his own honour. At least that's the summary in verse 23 of this theme. Did you notice that? For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king, you see. Such sad words. Arrogance, self-sufficiency. Every, um, every time we turn away from prayer, we're saying that we can do it for ourselves. Building a monument for ourselves. How many of us want a legacy? Isn't that at the heart of a midlife crisis? Isn't that what we're doing on social media? building a monument to ourselves sometimes. Are we convicted by that? Well, how can you have an anointed one who won't submit to God? How can you have a Messiah who's arrogant? It just doesn't add up. And how can you have one who's rejected by God? That's our third point, the finality of a Messiah whom God rejects. The finality of a Messiah whom God rejects. You know, sometimes rejection is a bit of a shock. Uh, I was just reminded, actually, this week of a story about our daughter, Amy, uh, when she was little. And there was a time when she had to go to the doctors for an injection as part of her sort of routine uh, immunization. She was quite small. And it's fair to say that she screamed so loudly that the entire surgery went silent. I think probably most of the street uh, would, have, would have heard uh, the noises that she made. And when it was over, she asked the GP for a bravery sticker and the GP just said, no. 
very sharp, isn't it? To be rejected. But here's the anointed king who God is rejecting. And it's desperate. Verses 24 and 25. Saul acknowledges his guilt and he cries for mercy. I'm not entirely sure how sincere his, his cry is. He seems a little bit more concerned about that, how things are going to appear. He asked Samuel to, uh, to make a public appearance with him. But he cries for mercy and Samuel's expression doesn't change an inch. There's no going back. And, and Saul turns and he, and he grabs and he tears Samuel's robe. But it's just a metaphor, isn't it, for what God's taking away from Saul. God's mind is settled and there's no going back. Does that disturb you? Well, if we understand what God is like, then maybe it shouldn't. Because God is a holy God. The Bible says he cannot ignore wrongdoing. And the surprise is that he doesn't always do that. Such a powerful warning that if, if we turn our backs on, on God for the whole of our lives consistently, that one day he will cement that rejection into place. He'll turn away from us. Surprise is that God doesn't always do that, the way we treated him. And the reason for that comes with another king. You see, the people of Israel got what they wished for. They, they got a, a king who'd go in fists first. That's what they seem to require. And so you look at Saul and you think, how can God have a Messiah who won't listen, who won't submit, and who faces God's rejection? That's, that's not going to work. Israel needs a new king, an obedient, submissive king. And when we come back to 1 Samuel, we're going to meet him. His name's, his name's David, the king after God's own heart. He's the, the neighbor mentioned in uh, chapter 15, verse 28, King David. And this king's going to write poetry. And we've got some of his poems recorded for us. One comes in Psalm 40. And you'll see a quote from that poem up on the screen. This is what he writes. Can you see his heart? Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. It, it, it mirrors, doesn't it, what we saw in, in 1 Samuel 15. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. He's going to listen. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I've come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will. My God, your law is written within my heart. He'll listen and he'll submit. And David, when he comes, he's going to show us what a, what a real Messiah will look like by pointing us beyond himself even to, to Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, his own descendants. So no wonder then that, that after Jesus has come, the book of Hebrews brings Psalm 40 right into the world of Jesus Christ. Here's a quote from the book of Hebrews, which itself quotes Psalm 40. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a, a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am, here I am, says Jesus Christ. It is written about me in the scroll. I've come to do your will, 
my God. But you can see in verse 10 what that will involves. By that will, the writer of the Hebrew says, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all as he's nailed to a piece of Roman timber and pays in full for the price of our rebellion, all of our denial, all of our lies, all of our deception, and all of our buck passing. He pays in full. So just as I finish, be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you wish for. What do you most wish for, do you think? If I had to put a microphone up to your face, what would you say? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What is your deepest desire? What is it that you most want? What is at the heart of it all? You know, we've, um, we've turned away, we've not listened, we've denied and we've lied and we've refused to submit. But one Samuel leaves us wishing for a king after God's own heart. And, and the Messiah, Jesus Christ, when he comes, God's, a, God's anointed one is, is the one of whom God says, this is my son, with him I am well pleased. And as he goes to the cross, his sacrifice of himself is, is fully accepted by God. His son is deeply and permanently accepted by him. And, and simply for the asking, maybe for the first time, we ourselves can be fully and finally accepted by God in him. Listen, says the Bible, submit and be accepted in Jesus Christ, God's anointed King. We're going to pray as we finish. Father God, thank you so much for showing us what an anointed King should look like. So much education, so much to learn as the Old Testament unfolds and we see this story of kings who got it wrong so that we long for the king who got it right. Thank you, Father God, most of all, that Jesus listened, that he was the one who listened to his father. He, he said that he loved you, he did exactly what he was commanded to do, right to the point of sacrificing himself on the cross to pay for all of our lives and, and, and rebellion. And so I pray, Father, that we will pray that simple prayer of trust in Jesus Christ. Thank you that we can be joined to him. And so we can know that we are as fully accepted as he is. I pray the news of that perfect acceptance will change our weeks, the way we think, the way we see ourselves, the things we long for, what we want. And I ask all these things in his name. Amen.